welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Hello bookends and welcome to another episode in our debut spotlight series where we shine a light on the freshest authors and their work. Today our spotlight shines on the soon-to-be cult classic Shark Heart. For Lewis and Wren, their first year of marriage is also their last, when Lewis receives a rare diagnosis. He will retain most of his consciousness, memories and intellect, but his physical body will gradually turn into a great white shark. We watch as Lewis and Wren both struggle with the consequences of the news, and as it brings back memories of Wren's mother, who Wren is still grieving the loss of. An emotional exploration of motherhood, marriage, transformation and letting go, this unforgettable debut examines what it truly means to be human. Emily Harbeck is a writer from Ardmore, Oklahoma. She's an alumna of Southern Methodist University's Meadows School of the Arts, where she received a BFA in theatre. She also holds master's degrees from Vanderbilt Divinity School and Vanderbilt's Peabody College. Her debut novel, Shark Heart, is out on the 8th of August and is published by Joe Fletcher Books, an imprint of Quercus. After both devouring said book, we are thrilled to have Emily joining us today to chat about it. So Emily, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Thank you. I I no one has called this a soon to be cult classic and I got like a little goosebumps that would be so cool. Um thank you so much for having me. It is 100% going to be a cult classic. Are you joking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fully cemented itself into my own heart. Well, um, you guys but- are making it happen. I appreciate it. <laughs> But before we get into the book, as much as I desperately want to, I do need to ask you a very important question. And that is, what are you currently reading? Yes, I am currently reading and loving Maggie Smith's You Can Make, I think it's Make This Place Beautiful. And oh my gosh, I could, personal writing like that really terrifies me. She does it with such elegance and clarity and self-knowledge and self-compassion Um, that I just very much admire. And um, of course, she's like a poet through and through in it. Yeah, I I feel like it's one of those books I'm going to have to reread as soon as I read it. And I I was saving it for a while. You know, do you ever have those books where you're like, I need a reading treat and I know I'm going to love this. So I'm just going to like, let it be there for me when I want to gobble it up. So that's where I'm at right now. I love that reading treat. I know the ones. (laughs) I've been so guilty of that a number of times. I've just been like, I, I can't, it's going to be too good. I can't do it now. I'm not ready. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, I want to be like, you know, in a place where I can consume it. And I, and maybe that's like just uh, indicative of my personality, like <laughs> delayed satisfaction. Like I just, I need to live for today. Like open the nice bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> The good Absolutely. quality for a novelist to be able to delay gratification. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I would love to start, Emily, by finding a bit more out about you, because obviously you studied theatre and we both studied theatre. So, so I wanted to know how your journey into becoming a debut author happened. Like, how did you go from theatre to the literary world? Yeah. Wow. The path has been like long and winding. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So probably like you, I grew up around theater and going to plays and reading plays and being in them. And I went to college for theater and was just in this incredible creative community. 
And after college, I moved out to Los Angeles to work in film and TV, which just kind of felt like it was a gut reaction. I was like, I, I want to experience this. I want to do this. It, you know, I can apply all my skills that I picked up in theater in this new industry. And for the better part of the decade, I I worked in that world at first as an actress, but then I realized I much preferred the writing side of things and yeah, I had some jobs in film and TV story development. And so my mind was like very much in like script land when I got the idea for this book. And I never thought about writing a book. It always just seemed very big and very hard. Yeah. So I wrote this scene that came to me that ended up being this book. And it initially read like a short film, but kind of incomplete. Like I was like, there's more to this. I'm drawn to this. It's pulling me. And I tried to expand it as a script. And then I was like, this is still like not right. And then I just started writing prose. I found that it was really, really nice. And once I started, I couldn't stop. And in hindsight, I think that fiction is just a really good medium for my personality. Like I said earlier, I guess I'm okay with delayed gratification <laughs> and a long-term project. I'm also an introvert and I'm in my imagination a lot. I think when I was acting, that was kind of like my weakness as I was always in my head. But as a writer, that's a really good place to be. And so being able to kind of live out these worlds in my head and being able to express them through language and thought and feelings is like just felt kind of a natural extension of like who I am and how I move through the world. So I didn't really expect that I would ever write write a book, but I... I've always loved to read and yeah, I, I really feel like it was just such a gift that I kind of trusted that and like took this leap of faith and explored it. And I think that's probably why it is an unconventional novel because I was not like surrounded by a community of fiction writers and there are a lot of really good ideas and strategies about how to write a book and get published in the traditional mainstream sense, but I just wasn't surrounded by that. And so I think I really had this freedom that allowed me to just kind of take this where I needed to go with it. And also in film, like it takes millions and millions and millions of dollars and lots of yeses and a ton of time to get something fully made in, in its like complete iteration. Um, but with the book, it's like a lot less complicated to at least to get it to the place of like finished. Like it is what it is. It has it has all its parts and it's created, you know, mm -hmm. and I think after working in that industry with this huge machine around storytelling, it was nice to just be small and simple. And um, yeah, so it was a really good experience. And would you ever long winded answer? No, I love I yeah, it yeah, so interesting. Would you do you just purely see this story as as a novel or now that you've written the novel and you've you've got the story to a place where you wanted it to be you know you said at first you were toying with with it being a script would you ever mm -hmm. expand it into you know would you ever have it adapted now or do you just want it to purely stay as a novel oh I would love to see it I would love to see it on screen or on the stage I would need like a really great partner in terms of a filmmaker mm -hmm. but I would love to adapt it and I I think that the, the two roles of Lewis and Wren would be like roles of a lifetime mm -hmm. for people to be able to go <laughs> on that journey to a man becoming a shark and then the immense like grief that Ren faces. Those would just be such juicy roles. And I would just love to see them played out in real life, you know, think real I life, you know. <laughs> I think I can speak for both me and Lydia that that would be like our dream role would be Ren. <laughs> <laughs> just don't forget us. <laughs> 
good. Oh, yeah, well, the writer's cool. strike has to end first, and the no, actor's absolutely. strike. So, yeah. so you know, I I stay I stand with the unions. But when all this is cleared up, it would be really really fun. But I'm satisfied too. Like I feel really complete and like. I told the story I wanted to tell. So anything after this is just, you know, icing on the cake, as they say. Yeah. Like my question was not to say that this isn't, I realized as I was saying the question that it probably sounded like I was saying, you know, this isn't. Oh no, I totally the story is it is. <laughs> like, This is such yes. a wonderful story. <laughs> and I'm so like glad that you wrote it as a novel because yeah, I just you. felt so immersed in this book and you know, I've literally spent like the last few days and nights just completely devouring it. So oh, I am so, so grateful it is in book form. <laughs> oh, I totally, I totally heard the question in the way you intended. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think you have created such a unique and thought-provoking novel. I, I mean, I've not read anything like this mm -hmm. before ever nothing like this and I read a lot of books <laughs> but there's something about this book that resonates with you and and it kind of moved me beyond a way that I can describe it was a very emotional mm -hmm. novel and I'd like to go a bit more into detail about the concept and development of the story because it is such a unique story and a unique idea first of all how how the heck did you come up with this and then how the heck did you execute it so well <laughs> well thank you for um yeah thank you for that I'm glad I executed it well I think it was like a confluence of things I don't think it was one I don't think it was like one like lightning bolt moment outside of that short film you know script like scene thing that eventually became the seed for the rest of the book but I was like I said I was living in Los Angeles at the time and I grew up in Oklahoma which is you know landlocked and you know, just a lot of grass and and it was the first time I lived near the ocean. And so there was just this like novelty of like being near the water and just the vastness of that. And I think as someone who's in my imagination a lot, and as a kid, I had like, you know, magical worlds and maybe I do now, maybe that's what writing, writing is. But just thinking about how there's this like entire like ecosystem with it's like, you know, unvoiced laws just like right next to us, like all the time. And just thinking about the mysteries of the ocean and the creatures that we don't even know about and what it could reveal about the, you know, the history of our planet and just like, yeah, just that kind of hiding in plain sight feeling that the ocean is. And so I, I think I was thinking a lot about like what it would be like to not be a visitor to that place, but to experience it wholly and as like this is this is my home and so i think creating a a creature with human consciousness but physical adaptability to be able to explore this place that is like very fascinating to me that's that was part of it just kind of like that what do you call it um thought experiment yes that's what it was and at the same time i think and i didn't realize this until much later but i think writing a character who is experiencing this really traumatic like outward transformation had a lot to do with what I was dealing with inwardly in that time of my life. Kind of inexplicably, I was just in this crisis of meaning and I was really questioning everything that I thought I knew for sure in this existential way. And people joke about an existential crisis all the time, but I really was experiencing one and feeling kind of un unmoored and just completely strange in the world be like walking past people getting their nails done and I'm like how are you just doing this right now like <laughs> we don't know what any of this means reality is a construct and I think it was actually a really important conversation I was having with myself because I was 
asking questions about like the purpose of art and work and kind of my place in it. And really like, what is love? And like, what do I, what do I want to do with my life? And so through the course of this, you know, internal process and working on this book, I ended up moving across the country to go to divinity school and um, work on another master's degree in community development. And I think in that time, I was kind of looking to like the great spiritual traditions to sort of make sense of what I was feeling. And, and also I, in in that period in grad school, I was like also working on the book, not every day or even every month, but it was with me, like as a companion all the time, I would like go into it when I had time. And it just, yeah, it just felt like it was just kind of always there, like a place to kind of like live and be with these characters who were experiencing what I was, but yeah, I think that experience in grad school was really, really important because I realized that all the questions and things that I was thinking about were like, it's like nothing new to humanity. Like everyone has had these questions like through the ages and like the great texts have been written and I can, I can be a part of that ancestry just by reading them. And I don't think that I like have any answers, but I think I have made peace with the mystery and just knowing that I will never know. And that that is just actually like the state of being human is we don't have that omniscience and just to accept that, that I'll never get there in this body, in this lifetime. Like that's for, you know, whatever's next, if there's something next, but I think living in this book was definitely a big part of that whole transformation. And I really hope that like people read this and maybe if they're feeling a bit foreign to themselves or alone in the world or displaced that they can find comfort in it like as I did writing it absolutely and it is a truly comforting but as traumatic and difficult as parts of it are and believe you me there are (laughs) there are parts that you're like your heart's in your mouth but there is there is a great comfort from the realizing that no no character in it and I think this is true to real life and everybody that no one kind of knows what they're doing no one does and that that's okay You know, none of us know. We all pretend. And it's just sometimes it is lovely to live in in someone's head when they are so honest about kind of not having a clue about stuff. It's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've definitely gotten that comfort from books. And I think, I mean, as far as the medium, like in film, like we can see a character's eyes and we can kind of like, okay, I feel what they're feeling. But in a book, we can like go in their head and there's no, I don't think there's like any other experience in, in life that's like, that 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 revealing you know in terms of like art and you know ex- experiencing what someone else is thinking absolutely I just want to expand on Lydia's question ever so slightly because I was curious about your choice obviously the mutation the animal mutation narrative that runs through the book and when it first happens and Lewis receives the diagnosis I was thinking like oh like this is a new thing like the this is like a totally foreign concept Mm -hmm. but then like the way the doctors were speaking about it as like it as the scene kind of went on I was like oh like they're acting like this is totally normal like this isn't out of the ordinary this is something that other people are going through so where did the choice come from to like in this world this sort of thing is already happening if that Mm -hmm. makes sense yeah well I think it's two things like one as a as an author like it just didn't seem interesting to me to get into that like I I, like I would much I think I'm just I I write from an emotional place first and kind of getting into like that part of the world building just didn't feel exciting like I was more curious about the character's journey than the origin of these of this disease 
And then on a second level, I think there are also just so many like heartbreaking absurdities. We just have to accept in order to make meaning in our lives, like uh, things like from uh, like gun violence to climate stuff, to racism, to the way society treats people who struggle with addiction and mental illness. So I'm like, what's so weird about man just turning into a shark randomly in the context of all that's ridiculously infuriating and broken about this world? And so I think for me, I was like, again, I was like probably a byproduct of that like existential place of like pulling back and being like, how are we all just okay with this? You know, how is this, how, how is this just fine? And so, um, and I think that is like part of the utility of the absurd is that it points out what is, what is most real and kind of can like show a mirror back to culture and society about mm. what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think as well with the, like, if if you only have to make one leap of faith with this book, it is just to say, okay, so this guy can turn into a shark. And that is it. That's the <laughs> yeah, only truly, If you, you can need get there. <laughs> yeah. If you can just suspend your disbelief for that second, yeah. that you, you will be absolutely fine. <laughs> totally, totally. And I think it's just like, again, like, it's like, why... Why do we have to ask why? Like some things we'll just never know. And I think like a lot of that like ties into the theme of loss in this book. And like the the, the reality of, of being a person is that if it goes well, we will lose people that we love in our lives. And like that to me is like, just like, why does, why does it have to be that way? You know, why can't we just like continue on in young bodies forever? And, but that's just, but that's just not what the human syllabus is about. And so again, it's just like accepting the things that are just reality. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I know these are like basic things to grapple with on a conceptual level, but at the time I was like really, really in it. The human experience is just so... <laughs> so sad (laughs) it is it can be but then also I think what makes you know because it's so temporary and because the moments with each other are so fleeting like that's also what makes them so special like if we were if we were immortal and nothing ever changed I think I would be pretty bored I have just remembered a part in a quote from the book and I think it's perfect for this moment. And I literally, I make notes before I interview people. I make notes on my phone whilst I'm reading their book. And I literally just put in capital letters. It was brief, but significant. Yeah. <laughs> in capital letters. And I feel like that is like the perfect uh, sort of description for life itself. Yeah. <laughs> Even though oh, in the book so it wasn't cool. being used to describe that way. I think it just fits perfectly. So. Yeah. Brief, but significant. Oh, it's so interesting. I hadn't I hadn't pulled it out of context in in the whole book that way, but yeah, thank you. That was like that's really cool to hear it's it in that way. Beautiful. So Lydia obviously already said how unique your book is. And I really wanted to get into talking about the style because I think that is also so unique and it is part of what makes the book so compelling is that it's told in this vignette style. And it unfortunately means that you want to read it in one sitting, which also means that the book is over quickly. (laughs) But, you know, it makes it so digestible and so exciting to read. Where did this style come from? Like what draws you to writing in this way? And I'd love to know what where your inspiration comes from. Yeah. In terms of the style, I this is gonna sound really woo-woo, but it just is what the intuition of the story was. Also, like as a reader, uh, I just I love to turn pages <laughs> and I really like to feel smart. I love yeah. to be like <laughs> 
<laughs> and if there's just something like so great, not every book, but every now and then I just, I just need to fly through a book. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, sprint so that, you know, you can crawl one day. And I think I just was writing the book that I wanted to read, but also I think it was also a byproduct of what my life was at that time. I was working and going to school. And some days, like all I had in me was like a couple of paragraphs. And I was like, I did my writing for the day, you know, good job, Emily. And I think I'm also and through this and writing in this way, like this is my first book. I think I realized that the writing for a page count or a word count as a goal this feels like kind of stressful to me. I think I'm better off thinking about like, okay, today's goal is I want to get the characters from like point A to B and I can get there and however, whatever way I want to get there, you know, but as long as the action is complete, maybe that is a, a better way of working for me than kind of the external benchmarks. And again, though, like I was not surrounded by authors and writing teachers who are saying like, oh, you know, literary fiction needs to be 80,000 to 100,000 words to, you know, even like, you know, get across an agent's desk kind of thing. I just like didn't know that stuff. And so I think I was just <laughs> breaking rules because I just didn't have them. And I don't know, I, I have a friend who jokes like there are no rules like and, and I think and I think in art, maybe he's right. I think it's the honesty that people kind of track, you know, and, I, and, and maybe and maybe the rules do exist for a reason to kind of help keep things organized. But I just, yeah, I feel like art is a way that adults can play. And I felt like I was able to in this way. But the scenes in particular, like I said, I was writing in script form a lot of my life. And, and a lot of those original scenes like were written as prose, but the prose was just so lean. Like it was just like he said, she said, and, you know, the dialogue. And I was like, this just reads like a script. So what if I just like, you know, cut out the quotes and the and the descriptors and just like had the text. And I realized that in the moments when I had the instinct to do that, there were these times of derealization for the characters where they are like an untethered from themselves and watching themselves from above. And I had that clarity during the pandemic a lot too. Like when things were just so bizarre, I'd be like, is this, is this really happening? Where I just all of a sudden, I feel like I'm just like watching myself. Like it just feels like so surreal and out of body. And I think that's something that happens to people when things are overwhelming. And so the scenes, I think, are moments in the characters' journeys where that's happening for at least one of them. Absolutely. And I think that you were talking about rules and breaking rules. And I truly, truly believe that nothing interesting has ever been made <laughs> by following the rules. <laughs> Because I genuinely think that to be creative, and this is, I mean, I'm an actor, so it's obviously, yeah. I, have, I have certain opinions about things, but to have the freedom to break rules and express yourself and do it without restriction, you know, because you can always pair it back and put it into some kind of format, yeah. but to truly get something unique and interesting, I do think that you have to be able to have that freedom and use it. Oh, totally. And I'm such a rule follower. It's kind of a miracle that this happened because, I mean, I, it happened because I didn't know the rules. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I was like so deeply invested that I would like hear something and I'd be like, oh no, okay, I can't listen to that. I'm, I'm, I'm already like really far down. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, you know, when I was like sharing it and initially with agents and editors, like I heard all kinds of comments, you know, and mm-hmm. the whole time writing this, I never thought the premise was strange, which I don't know what that <laughs> says about me. I was just like, yeah, this is like completely normal book, you know, <laughs> possibly that's just because I believed it so much. And I was just in the character's emotional world. So when people were like, you know, shocked or bewildered by it. I was similarly bewildered because I just hadn't considered that it was weird. And I heard all kinds of things, you know, like, I don't know where this sits on the shelf. And, you know, is it speculative fiction? Is it magical realism? Is it science fiction, fantasy? And I think it's all those things. And my editor has assured me from the beginning that booksellers and readers will decide what it is and and I should just not worry about it. And so I've just taken her advice and let people call it what they want. And I think I think it's really exciting to see like where it's where it's been embraced, especially like in the science fiction and fantasy realm. Like I don't I don't often read those genres actually. And now I'm like, oh that's so interesting. Like I really wonder what it would be like to kind of do a a deep dive into those genres and see how those readers might be seeing it. And there, I don't know, do you do spoilers on this? I guess it's kind of a spoiler. If you want to like spoiler, it's a (laughs) tiny, there, there is a dragon in this book. So (laughs) oh, that's true. That's not a spoiler. spoiler. (laughs) So I, yeah, you know, it does, it does work. (laughs) It does. does. Well, I am a bookseller and let me tell you, it will be pride of place on the bookshelf. Wherever we choose to put it, it will be oh, thank you. straight in people's <laughs> eyelids. I really wanted to talk about how an integral part of this book is the idea of transformation. We've touched on it a little bit already. Mm-hmm. And there are the obvious transformations of characters, in particular Lewis turning into a great white shark. But it is also a coming of age story and it acceptance of one's own weaknesses and changing Mm. aspects of personality and life expectations why is this a subject featured throughout you know I have not experienced any of the devastating losses that my characters have I've not lost a parent or a partner not become a shark you know (laughs) internally I felt very weird really but (laughs) (laughs) luckily it's not a memoir but I do, I do think I've always had a really hard t- time with change. And I think I'm really mm-hmm. sensitive to that. And I think we don't really talk about, at least in the culture, and maybe in like, you know, close to therapy rooms, but in the mainstream culture, we just don't really acknowledge the micro deaths within a lifetime, the things that are shifting imperceptibly in our experiences that make us just feel a little different in the world. And I think I've always, I've always had that. And it's always just been this kind of like, I'm like, am I the only one that just feels a little melancholy when the seasons change? And I'm in this season of life too, where I'm like going to a lot of my friends' weddings and they're having kids and achieving a career milestones. And, and all of that is so great and wonderful. And I'm happy for them. And I also feel this palpable grief because I sense that the person that they were is like no longer here. And this new version is wonderful. And yet I don't know them yet. And so I feel like just all the transformation that the characters go through is probably just my own wrestling with, you know, what it means to be evolving as a person and and in and, and our own seasons of life too. Yeah. Nothing is ever still, is it? It just keeps mm-hmm. going. <laughs> I think you've articulated that so well because I also feel like that at this period of my life where everybody's getting married and having children and (laughs) I'm just here (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> like to think of a life out. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I have to make changes really slowly. I mean, sometimes life makes the change for you. I definitely, I feel like, you know, you can't help that when something is like just what it is suddenly, but yeah, I'm definitely a late bloomer baby steps. Yeah. <laughs> While we're on the subject of transformation, I wanted to talk a little bit more about how theater makes its way into your novel and when I was reading your book I I try really hard if I can and if I don't already know the author to not read too much about the author beforehand because I want to sort of read the novel and then afterwards it's sort of like really satisfactory being like oh so like that's why they did this and that's why they did that and I get a lot of enjoyment out of (laughs) but I didn't know that that you had come from the world of theatre but it absolutely shined through when I was reading it because the references were so specific and so brilliant Mm -hmm. that I knew that you had to be somebody that had experienced that world. And as Lydia has said, you know, the book explores transformation, but I also think, you know, there's, as you've said, loss wrapped up in those transformations. And I particularly find that interesting with creatives in the sense of identity and transformation and the loss of that when things don't quite work out or when mm-hmm. I guess like their their art doesn't love them back. Mm-hmm. And we we see that with Lewis mm-hmm. and he has to step away from being an actor to become a teacher. And, mm-hmm. and it's almost, you know, for the sake of his own sanity. And I've seen that with so many creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to know why that storyline was important for you to include and why you wanted to sort of merge those two worlds that that you're from into this Mm -hmm. novel? Well, I just, I love the theater and I have such a deep respect for theater artists and particularly my friends who are, you know, actors and have been in it for a, a long time now. And I just see the dedication it takes to keep showing up. And it's unlike writing in that, and it's a lot like film in that you need all the parts to completely do do the thing. Of course, you could do a monologue or a a one-person show, but I think actors are just like so delightfully relational and they feed off the energy of each other and an audience. And and yeah, I I think I really, I understand that journey because I've walked part of the path myself, but also I've just seen my friends who are still in it. And I personally just didn't love the craft enough to Mm -hmm. kind of persevere through that. And I realized it very quickly because it just wasn't giving me joy. And I think I have some friends who are just so inspirational in the way they approach like almost the gift of the hustle of of the the privilege of being able to audition or take a class and and defining success in ways that are empowering and creating their own work and i think lewis he is somebody who tries to leave tries to say this is not my call anymore this is not who i am but it he cannot it is a part of him and i think i did that to illustrate that it's like for those people, especially I'm thinking of, you know, my, my friend group who are actors, it is who they are. And no matter what they do, it will be them. And they don't need, you know, a part, a director, a casting director to say that that's who they are. It's just a part of them. And I think when I was in divinity school, I also recognized that sense of call in people, people who are really called to serve the world using their gifts and skills. And I think actors are the same way. There's definitely just this sense of like, I have to, I have to keep going through this. This is just what I'm called to do. And I feel that way with writing too. And I think that's why I was just able to write that part like 
you know, with my own, with my own heart as well. It was written so beautifully and um, it really moved me. And I just, I loved his sort of tug of war with that part of himself. And I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but there's a moment when he sends an email. <laughs> and it was so good. The email I have always wanted to send. Literally. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah. I've never sent an email like that to someone, so it's really nice to write it. <laughs> like cathartic. Yeah, right. Oh my gosh. Just, yeah. Someone like just messes up your vision. Anyway, spoiler. I'm, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> it's worth reading the book just for the email. <laughs> so moving on to another part, I mean, I say like another part of the book I loved basically all of it was the marriage of Lewis and Ren mm. um, which is truly one of the most beautiful and realistic depictions of a marriage I've I've read in recent mm. times there is so much to their love it's it's full of sacrifice compromise mm. selfishness tolerance and I have a quote that I feel really encapsulates kind of how their marriage made me feel so if you don't mind I'm going to read your book back to you yeah <laughs> it'd be an honor you're <laughs> to hear an actor read my words this is exciting <laughs> I'm just gonna be really pleased <laughs> so this is Ren talking about Lewis and the effect that he's had on her Lewis was a magician performing trick after marvelous trick misdirecting her attention with jokes stories and games as Wren fell for the distractions, Lewis tattooed her with beautiful poetry in a place she would never see, but somehow read every second. It's just too good. It's just too good. And honestly, a book ends listening. If you like that quote, you're going to love all of the book because it's mm. all as beautiful as that. But their relationship is just, it's breathtaking and not perfect in, in any respects but just so so realistic what did you want the reader to see in their relationship and why yeah well first of all beautiful reading thank um, you <laughs> and second I feel like I, I also want to talk about the title in this and I think let me see if I can present this in a clear way okay so there's actually two shark hearts in the in the novel Lewis like literally has a shark heart and interestingly, like if you Google shark heart, this is like an asterisk, like this is not related to my question. You will find <laughs> the literal pictures of meat. So just, <laughs> and so it's, it's pretty interesting. It's like the, my cover of my book and then like the literal shark heart. So that's like what Lewis has. <laughs> and then I actually think the title is more salient to Ren. When we think of the word shark in in the culture, it's like, has this aggressive connotation. You know, we have like loan sharks and West Side Story. There's the sharks and the jets and jaws. And it's like this apex predator who's just like relentless. That's not true of that real animal as I learned in my research. But I feel like Ren is like, despite all that she's been through and all the heartbreak, she is still like a shark for love. Like she is still like going to open her heart, even though she's been heartbroken before. And that's a very like metaphorical thing to say about Ren, who is so practical. Mm -hmm. And then, and then to say that Lewis literally has a shark heart, that's like very literal and that's not who he is. And so 
like to me, like Ren and Lewis like represent or they map onto this contradiction in my personality where I'm like, on one end, I'm like, how do I see reality as it is? Like, this is the world. And then on the other side, I ask, like, how do I resist cynicism and still experience awe and beauty, even though it sometimes it seems like, you know, things are pretty terrible. And so I think Lewis and Ren have both of those questions. Like for Lewis, he's the one who resists cynicism and Ren sees the world as it is. But like throughout the course of the book, like they start to kind of enmesh, like not in an unhealthy way, but they they take a little bit from each other and Ren gets a little bit more playful and, and playful, not in a frivolous way, but just in, a, in an open way and open to ex- new experiences way. And Lewis becomes a little more grounded. And so I think in that line where, you know, tattooing poetry on her heart, like that is like the gift that he gives her is like this ability to like wonder in reality, um, even though it's really hard sometimes. And I think also that's like the, that's what I wish for myself. Like sometimes I'm like, why can't I be, you know, both like, remember all the things I need to do for my car. And at the same time, like, you know, just play, you know, I feel like some, that's like this, maybe all adults feel this way is like, you have this tension of opposites all the time mm-hmm. of, of wanting to experience delight, but also having to get business done. So, yeah, I think, I think they're both a part of me for sure. I love them so much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> there were so many quotes in the book that I was just like, oh, like mm. just move me so much and I, I was speaking to Lydia before and like I'm not really much of a crier when it comes to reading like I and it really annoys me because like sometimes that release would probably be amazing <laughs> to be yeah. able to cry whilst reading but for for me it's it show it's a sign of a a book meaning a lot to me if I get like a lump Mm. in my throat and I feel on the verge of tears like that's as far as it's going to go for me really and with this there were just so many moments where Mm. I felt on the verge of tears because it wasn't even just something being sad it was just something being explored in such a beautiful way and just their whole dynamic was just so special and there's I'm really reluctant to say this because I I don't want to give spoilers but the the moment when he gets his diagnosis her reaction when she says they say the first year of marriage is the hardest and it was just like it broke my heart I was like no Because she didn't have this whole like dramatic reaction and being like, oh, everything's ruined, everything's spoiled. Like why, you know, it it was just this like immediate, she knew that she was going to do whatever she could to to make it work. Like their love could survive this. And that was her instant reaction. Like there was no doubt in her mind that she would try and make this work. And I just found that so moving. Oh, thank you. She, yeah, she's definitely not someone who'd be like, it's going to be fine. Like, <laughs> we'll no. work it out. Like, um, yeah, that's so, that's so nice to hear. Like, it's so interesting. I mean, as I, I think I write like an actor, like mm-hmm. being, I put myself in the emotional place that they're in. And yeah. So when people tell me they cried reading it, I'm like, oh, good. Cause I'm not alone. <laughs> I cried writing. like some of these scenes where I'm like when I was like you know editing them again and again even just for like you know small things I was like oh my gosh the emotional labor of like living these times with these people I like one one day I came downstairs and told my partner I was like I have to write a funny book next time and, <laughs> and I, I honestly don't know if I don't I don't know I I 
if that's possible, because I just love how works that are labeled as sad are honestly like the most truthful in life. And I think I'm really attracted to that authenticity. And I, and I think sometimes people don't like sad books because it's uncomfortable to feel things or it brings up, you know, things we'd rather not look about, look at in reality or in ourselves. But I just, I love, I love a sad, sad album and, you know, melancholy poetry. I, I think there's just something to that kind of exquisite sadness that, um, it just really draws me in. Mm-hmm. I don't think though that I would I would totally box this book off as a sad book. Like I feel like that would kind of not fully do it justice. I think there's there's so many different ways you could describe this book. Like it it has some incredibly funny moments, but it is also, you know, it is sad and it is moving, but it's also very life affirming and it forces you to think about the big questions of life and there is so much more to it so I don't want listeners to just no, be good. like oh, it's just a sad book like there is so no, much to this book it it's not no definitely <laughs> it's definitely not all sad but yeah I, I I definitely went on the whole range of experiences with them and then there yeah. were parts of it like the la- the third section was just like for some reason like it was just so easy to write and there's this like quirky character towards the end who was just like just like fell out of me I was like she must be like some part of my inner child or something but I yeah I definitely went on all the range of emotions and feelings with these characters and Mm -hmm. I I don't know like I feel like when you're reading a script as actors do you feel you know do you take yourself into the emotional imagination like what's your process when you're when you're working on something I mean yeah, completely. I don't really, I hate when people ask me that question. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> now I'm interviewing you, but I face curious. different for every <laughs> role. I will not be able to answer this question. No, because it's, it's different for every role. And yeah, I really don't know how to articulate what my process is like. I think with me, I, it's very clear for me that I can get emotionally invested in things very quickly. Hannah knows this. So like whenever I receive a script or a piece of something to read, like within seconds, and this is the same with books, but within seconds, I'm like already feeling everything that that person feels. So a a lot of what I have to do is bring that back and then start to kind of a a bit like your writing style of kind of like not following the rules and then trying to put the rules in place afterwards. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, I I work really emotionally led Mm -hmm. and then I kind of go, okay, but actually I physically can't like be burst into tears here, even though I want to, because something else is making me do something different or a director has told me to do something different. But yeah, it's definitely emotionally led. Yeah. That's so interesting. Like, I feel like I work the same way. I feel like I have to dissect my scripts. Like, I am not always emotionally led. So I... You're a Ren. You're a Ren and I'm a Lewis. No, but that's all right. That's right. I, <laughs> I have to, you know, read... I read the script through and then I look at it, everything that the character has said about themselves. And then I look at what everything the other characters say about that character. And then I look at, you know, all the different experiences that make up this person and the kind of the dynamic dynamics that they have with other people in the script mm-hmm. and so I re- I do really have to like pull it apart and I also get I have to strike off every stage direction when I go into a script because if the writers told me I have to sob at a certain point then I will just never be able to get to that point oh my god they used to give why. me so much anxiety like yeah. when it's like it's sobbing <laughs> 
And as an emotionally led actor, I completely ignore stage directions. <laughs> they just do not exist in my vocabulary. Yeah. I feel um, like I feel like you sound like you're an investigator. Like when you go in and and look and read a script, and I yeah, as a reader, I I really love when the author is not really telling me how to feel or mm-hmm. sparingly what the characters are outwardly mm-hmm. doing. And I hadn't really connected that until you said that, but um, I really appreciate it when it's just like, oh, I know what they're feeling because I'm in their head, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm projecting my own feelings onto what they're feeling. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't always love just a ton of like, that's someone so stomped his foot or, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm definitely an investigator, and I think I am when I read books as well. Like I love, I get so much satisfaction out of connecting the dots. So like something will happen, I'll be like, "That's why she did this about 20 pages ago. That's that's it. That's the thing that caused that. That's the thing that triggered that." <laughs> and I don't think about it at all. I'm just like crying. <laughs> but Lydia oh, loves loves not knowing stuff, and I'm mm. like so nosy and need to know everything. Yeah. You can't cope. Uh, Hannah cannot cope with a. Uh, unresolved ending like they are kryptonite whereas I'm like give it give it to me yeah I'm don't give me the answers I'm a wobbler Mike you Lydia I yeah totally um yeah I don't need to know I like if if I went on an emotional journey with the characters like Mm -hmm. I'm satisfied like what happened in the outward world um doesn't doesn't matter as much Mm -hmm. um the ending changed a lot in Shark Heart for sure before I started working with my editor there were a lot of pieces that were less concrete. Um, and the original title was actually above and below the surface of the ocean, which I know now why shark heart is a better title. It's punchier, easier to remember, say all those things that rhymes, which is great. There are emojis that match it, which is you know <laughs> kind of fun sometimes, but, but I realized that that, that old title kind of was it fits with what you're talking about, Lydia. I was like, I was really interested in the below the surface of the ocean, like the psychology. And my editor was like, okay, well, we need to like firm up the dates and the passage of time and the year so that the, you know, so that readers like Hannah feel like safe and validated that, you know, okay, I know where I am in the story. And so, yeah, I think I became a better writer in the editorial process in terms of the concrete. Because as a reader, like I, I'm so much like into the feeling emotional place where I'm like oh dates times you know you know <laughs> what are they <laughs> when did anything happen you know um so yeah I think that was and I and I think in working with my editor in that way I learned what other readers are like and mm-hmm. and so I think those were some of the rules that I added back in and you know I think I think in like the one of the earlier drafts I didn't have any marking of time in terms of months mm-hmm. and and it really helped me too as a as the author kind of organize my my thoughts around the actual concrete details of his transformation and like what mm-hmm. was happening physically and getting really precise about about those details and I think you said this earlier about like how did I create the, you know, the tactile experience of his transformation? I didn't fully answer it, but yeah, like, like in being an emotional writer, like I did all of the research, the end, and I kind of knew what I needed to know at that point. Cause I was like, okay, so what would this be feeling like? I have no idea. Let me, let me find out. And I talked to this great, well-known uh, like marine biologist, Greg Scomel. I'm like surprised he answered my email and he was so generous and he, I was a little intimidated, but he just went on the journey with me. Like even like imagining scenarios. And the only thing that you really can't find out from the internet 
or books is like what it really feels like to be like close to one of these animals. And, and with his research, like he could tell me what things felt like, what they smelled like. And that was just invaluable. And um, a lot of those like direct details are in the book. I love that. That is so fascinating. I'm always interested in what people's research processes are like. And it's so cool that he he responded to you and helped you with creating the book. And thank God he did. <laughs> oh yeah, it was really great. Like, um, yeah, I, I couldn't be couldn't be more thankful. And he actually has a book out that just came out, I think in July um, about his life working with great white sharks, kind of like a memoir. Oh. I'm just a few pages into it, but I'm excited Amazing. to read the rest. Yeah. It's called I Chasing will. Shadows. I will include a link to that in the show notes as well as yeah. your book. Now I've just realized the time, but I really mm-hmm. want to squeeze in this question. So I wanted to ask about motherhood and how complex and nuanced that experience is. I say that not being a mother myself, but I thought the way that you explored it and wrote it was was really beautiful. And we see Ren's tug of war with the idea of motherhood, which I think is especially moving during Lewis's diagnosis and mm-hmm. when his mu- mutation starts to occur. And there's a particular moment that I just thought was beautiful and really <laughs> like heartbreaking. And it's when, you know, she turns to him and she says, um, oh, what do you think about us having children? And he's like, now, like, really? And she's like, no, I just wanted to see what it would feel like to ask. <laughs> and it literally, you, you burst through the book and saw my heart clean out my chest. It was, <laughs> I just, I couldn't take that moment. It was so emotional. And we also, you know, we see her kind of tug of war with herself, but then we also reflect back on her own mother, Angela, and her experience of becoming a mother at 15. And we also mm-hmm. see Angela's mother, Colleen, and her struggles too you know we see a glimpse of that why did you want to sort of have this intergenerational perspective on motherhood yeah I I, you know I don't think it was something I like consciously decided but I I'm I love I love writing women I love I understand women I have like you know a great relationship with my mom and um wonderful girlfriends yeah my friendships are like few but really deep and I feel like I've known them through many stages of life. And so, and I think listening to their stories and kind of growing together um, is what inspired that on one level. And then recently someone asked me about intergenerational trauma. Like, was I, was I thinking about that? And I think I was, I think I am now in, in hindsight, like aware that that is what the characters experience. But I think no matter what you call it, like we all have stuff that doesn't belong to us, like things that traits that we have that we may be unaware of that is because of something that happened to our great, great grandmother. And it was passed down and it became this characteristic through this game of telephone. And now we're like conscientious for some reason. And I think, you know, some of it's nature and some of it's nurture, but I think we're also given great qualities too. I think families, we hear a lot about the trauma, but there, I think there is also overlooked the good qualities that we inherit from the people in our families. And although like Ren definitely has her share of inner 
generational trauma, I think she also has a tremendous amount of courage and, Mm -hmm. and just in her, like I said, her shark heart, like her ability to like continue to pursue love, even though she's been heartbroken before. She's certainly braver than I am. And I think maybe she's someone I want to be more like, I don't know, write, write your heroes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, She's a wonderful character. She's such an inspiration. She really is. Just her strength is, is so admirable. Finally, just before we let you go, I'd like to ask you about letting go really Mm -hmm. this novel is as much about life as it is about the death of things Mm -hmm. we see all the characters eventually losing something of themselves and it's a fantastic examination of how we as emotional beings learn to live and grow with loss I really hope that readers understand the joy that can come from that process of growing with the loss. What did you want the readers to take away from this book? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. I think I think readers will take away what they what what they're supposed to take away. But if I could like impart an intention or hope or something, it would be that it's the kind of book that makes people feel less alone, less less foreign to themselves, less like what they're experiencing has never happened to anyone before. I think stories can do that. I think that's like the power of of storytelling, at least in my life, is to be able to read something and feel like, well, at the very least, like this author's imagination understands like what I am experiencing. And and then at a certain point, like I I I hope that readers take this story, you know, and it becomes a source of joy, you know, like just like it does for Ren in the story. I think like you said, there's an opportunity for like lightness and renewal when we have transformation and loss. Try not to get emotional. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is such a beautiful book and I would love for our listeners to immediately go and order themselves a copy and I will of course be putting a link in the show notes very finally before we let you go but we need to squeeze some recommendations out of you yeah so no is there I have no time constraints you? all good well I talked about you can make this place beautiful by Maggie Smith I'm really enjoying that and of course the chasing shadows by Greg Scomal you know I read a really exciting and strange but like a good strange story collection. It's called Out There by Kate Folk. She just has such an incredible mind. She writes about like dating and the technology age, but with just such this like wry voice, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. I've been recommending it like constantly for a while now. And I know I'm like 15 years behind, (laughs) but I'm watching The Sopranos for the first time. And it is like really good. Like no surprise. Everyone's been telling me you need to watch The Sopranos. But now I'm like, oh, I understand this canon of American television in this whole new way. And I find that when I'm watching good television, I write a little better. So yeah, so that's what I'm into. And otherwise, you know, just um, talking to people about this book, it kind of, you know, I'm, I'm always curious to hear what other people are listening and reading anything I should put on my radar. I would say the bear, get the bear yeah. on your radar. <laughs> Have I you watched so. the bear? I've watched the first season. Oh, <gasps> love it so much. Yeah. I'm watching okay. the second season at the moment and okay. I just, yeah, I love it. So I'll good. Put it in. I'll put it in line after the Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched the Sopranos either. So I, what? yeah, you knew this. You already knew this. I know. I've already told me off about this. I just wanted to be dramatic, add some tension into the situation. People are used, people that listen to this podcast are used to you telling me off for 
the things that I haven't read or watched. (laughs) It's true. It's true. But Emily, it has been so wonderful getting to chat to you about this book because as I said before, we both absolutely devoured it and we both really fell in love with this book and (laughs) cannot recommend it enough. It is gorgeous. The cover is amazing, but the content is even more beautiful. And yeah, I'm just completely in awe of your talent and it's been so great getting to pick your brain about it. So thank you so much for coming on to A Pair of Bookends. Oh, thanks for having me. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Yeah, um, I'm mostly on Instagram these days at emily.hobbick. Amazing. And I have a website with like upcoming events and things like that related to Shark Heart, emilyhobbick.com. And that's it. Amazing. I will link all of that in the show notes. So listeners, please go and buy Shark Heart and please go give Emily a follow and share how much you're loving the book because I know you all will. If you want to give us a follow, you can do so at a pair of bookends pod on Instagram and at a pair of bookends on Twitter and TikTok. Lydia, what is our threads at? Because we are so very cool and it is at a pair of bookends surprisingly could you believe it so shocked (laughs) but emily thank you so much again once more and listeners thank you for listening bye bye